So in the city of San Francisco, skyscrapers are abundant. There are just plenty of them. Towers of buildings rising up to the sky, each one trying to outdo the other so that they can be the best building in in San Francisco. Each one more eye-catching than the other. And uh, (laughs) leading this new wave of, of skyscrapers in San Francisco is a building called the Millennium Tower. 58 stories of luxury that opened in the year 2009 and made the claim of being the tallest residential building west of the Mississippi. So, though priced in the millions, the inventory of high-class apartments moved quickly. This is the actual building. Anybody want to live there? You know something I don't know? Looks pretty nice to me. This is the actual building. Yet for all of its appeal, the building has one, quite literally, one foundational problem. It's sinking. Now you know, you knew that already, didn't you, Debbie? It's sinking into the mud, it's tilting towards its neighbors. Some in San Francisco have even dubbed this building the Leaning Tower of San Francisco. You know where they got that from, right? And now, as you might guess, there are many lawsuits from the residents who who paid an average of $2 million plus each for their apartments. Once this sinking was was revealed, the builder began scrambling to figure out what is happening. The Millennium Tower, 301 Mission Street, is the talk of the city. 645 feet of reinforced concrete wrapped in steel at a cost of $550 million. And everything the residents read before they actually bought the building said, this is a great building, you should go buy. It had won numerous awards, catch this, awards even for the quality of construction. In fact, it was touted as the best building in San Francisco. But it wasn't until May of 2016 that the residents who bought these apartments were told that the building was sinking and tilting. And by that time, the building had sunk 17 inches. And it was tilting 14 inches. So the engineers who built this building, they were were asked, why is it sinking and tilting? And you know what their first response was? We don't know, it was built to code as if the code took away their responsibility or or made it okay that this building is sinking. Today, the building is still sinking at a rate of about two inches per year, and so far it doesn't show any signs of stopping. So upon further investigation, it was learned that the building had been built without placing the foundation on solid rock. It was built on a dense layer of sand located about 80 feet below the surface, but to hit rock, they would have had to go all the way down to 200 feet below the surface, and they didn't do that. You see, the Leaning Tower of San Francisco is a vivid reminder that the foundations of our may well be hidden, but they're essential. Foundations may well be hidden, but they are essential. So as we come to the end of our series of studies on Jesus is our King and the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus brings this last portion we're going to talk about today into an application. It's because what we're going to talk about today clearly is foundations. Thank you. One person's listening. That's great. 
See, Jesus has some pretty clear things to say, some simple things to say to us about the foundations we need for living, for allowing Jesus to be our king. Now, let's admit, we're all going somewhere in life, but we all too often, we, there's this disconnect between where we want to end up and the type of foundation we choose to actually get us there. Because the truth is, your foundation, whatever it is, your foundation determines the direction you go in life. See, many people find themselves in these horrible messes and when they take time to look back, they might even say to themselves, I should have seen this coming because when you look back and you, you think about these things, you probably realize I didn't build my life on a good foundation, the right foundation, because your foundation determines the direction your life will go. So this morning, I wanna just read the entire passage and then we'll dig into it a little bit and then I have some application for us. So the, the, this passage is really a parable. And at the end of the parable that Jesus uses to teach this principle, there's a result of the crowd. How did the crowd, how did those who were listening all three chapters of this, of this sermon respond? We're gonna look at that. So would you uh, pull out your insert and uh, follow along? You can follow along with the text on the insert behind me, or you might even wanna use a Bible if you have one. That works too, all right? By the way, I like my electronic Bible, just so you know. Okay, verse 24, chapter seven, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There's the parable. What's the response? Verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. So let's go back to verse 24. And let's just go back there and I wanna start there and work our way through this a little bit. Here's what verse 24 says again, in case we forgot because we just read a bunch of verses. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now that opening word there is therefore for a reason. Therefore, you know, it refers, actually it's a signal and it refers back not just to the past verse, not just to the past passage, but to the entire chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is wrapping this whole thing up. He says, based on all that I've said, therefore, this is what we ought to be doing. <laughs> he clearly points our direction back to the entire sermon. And then notice what Jesus doesn't say. He does not say, everyone who hears these words of mine is like a wise man. Hearing's not enough. He doesn't say, hearing these sermons, you know, here, he doesn't say, Everyone who hears these sermons or words of mine and believes everything I say is like a wise man. Hearing's not enough. Believing's not enough. Also, Jesus doesn't say, everyone who hears these words and studies them and studies them carefully is like a wise person. No, Jesus says people are wise are those who hear his words and do what? Study. 
Yeah, got it. We got the parable. You got to put them into practice. Put them into practice. In other words, Jesus might say something like this. These words I speak to you are not secondary additions to your life. They're not just improve, home improvements to, to raise your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life upon. And he uses simply the story of two men building two houses as a way of teaching us the importance of putting his words into practice. So what I see here are two people. There's some similarities with this, with these two guys. There are some differences and they work themselves out into results. We have similarities, we have differences, we have results. So let's look at the similarities first. Okay, we have two men who are both engaged in the same activity. We can see that they're both building houses. Now we're not told if there's any difference between the two houses that they're building. For all we know, the houses may have looked exactly alike. Remember, this is a parable. (laughs) We're not told of anything about difference between the abilities of those who are building the house. They may have been excellent builders. And then apparently the same sort of natural forces strike the houses. See, these two builders are symbolic of two kinds of people. But the thing they have in common is that they both hear Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Both of them heard the same words from exactly the same Lord. And when I think of these similarities, you know, I just can't help but think about the similarities are between Christians who have made Jesus their king and those who haven't yet. It's sometimes hard to tell them apart because maybe some, they both go to church. There's similarities there. Maybe they both hear the same sermons or attend the same Bible studies or life group. Or maybe they both read their Bibles and they study their Bibles on their own. Maybe they both bow their heads and, and say prayers. And maybe they talk the same kind of talk and they profess the same kind of beliefs. There are many similarities between a person who has made Jesus their king and someone who hasn't. Both houses they are building can look the same. But this points our attention to the second thing I want to talk about, the difference. There's a difference here. The houses are resting on different foundations. You see, the difference is not readily to be seen, but it is there and it is profound. The difference is found in what the houses which represent our lives are resting on. That's not something you can easily see just by looking at the house on a superficial level. Most often you can't see the foundation. By all outward appearances, the houses look the same. That's because you can't easily see the foundation. See, foundations may well be hidden, but they're essential. They're essential. And as it turns out, one builder builds his house, the wise man, on a foundation of solid rock, while the other builder builds his house, the foolish man, on a foundation of sand. And so this parable illustrates two kinds of people with respect to the words of Jesus. Both builders heard the words, and on a superficial level, the difference between them couldn't easily, readily be seen. But when you look a little closer, one builder heard what Jesus said and did what Jesus said, while the other man heard what Jesus said and didn't do it. Both builders acted out of their own will based on what they've heard. But one made a choice to take action, and the other builder did not. The builder that did what Jesus had built his life on a good, a solid foundation, while the other built it on something that wouldn't endure. 
Now, most of you who know me at all know that I've been around a long time and I've had the opportunity to see a lot of things unfold in people's lives. And uh, I've seen, for example, someone who lived out some of those similarities that I was talking about that looked like they were doing well, Jesus is their king, they came to church maybe, or they listen to sermons, or they read their Bible, or they pray, and they could give a testimony of coming to faith in Jesus, which is essential. <laughs> maybe even attends a life group and sits in on that and studies the Bible together. But when a difficult situation came their way, their life was left in shambles. Unfortunately, I get to see this up and close and personal. <laughs> and I ask them, why was this? Why was their life left in a shambles? They're because their real foundation during a time of crisis was really revealed. And I couldn't help but wonder, why might that be? Why would someone be so foolish as to ignore the need for a good foundation when building a house? You know, when the situation in San Francisco was all about a desire for development, seize the moment that drove the building of the Millennium Tower. And, and that drive, in this case, overruled common sense and overruled wisdom. Well, for people, I thought, well, maybe they might ignore the need for a good foundation because they too were in just too much of a hurry. They felt the pressing need maybe to get a house up quickly, to get their lives in order in some way. Maybe they're looking for a quick fix and they hoped Christianity would be that quick fix. And so they wanted to get certain problems in life taken care of and not 10 years from now, but now. Not realizing that allowing Jesus to be your king involves so much more. For example, a close, authentic, meaningful real relationship with Jesus that involves obedience to what he says. Not one time, but all the time throughout our entire life. Or for others, you know, maybe building a solid foundation is just too much hard work. I mean, laying a foundation involves digging deep and beyond the sand and into that solid rock. And after all, it's just too hard, it's too much effort. I mean, careful planning, a lot of dirty work can be hard. And maybe some people don't want to build a solid foundation because it just requires too much effort or it is way too hard and I'm not sure I want to go down that path because there's too much of a personal cost for me. Or for some, the demands of allowing Jesus to be their king takes more than they wish to pay because it requires that they follow him to do what he says. It requires laying down our life surrendering our life like Jesus surrendered his on the cross and following him. And maybe, maybe this surrender part is where some people hit a roadblock. I mean, they want to be in control of their own Christian lives. They want to be the cornerstone of their life. When Paul clearly says in Ephesians, what are you talking to that group of Christians, that Jesus is our cornerstone. We sang that song just a few minutes ago, right? Who's our cornerstone? Christ alone. Cornerstone. Weak. That's us. Made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storms we sang, he is Lord. Lord of all. <laughs> Foundations, yes, may well be hidden, but they are essential. Now, the two types of foundations of the two houses may be hidden from view, 
but they're not completely hidden. And the fact is, they can be known. Look at how they're made known in this parable. The rain, the floods, the wind reveal them. And for us in California this past week, the earthquakes. Boy, that scared me to death. But what I didn't do is run out of the house. What a fool I was. I just sat in the house. Oh, look, we're shaking. See, in the parable, these represent the difficulties of life, the the storms of life, the broken relationships that definitely need mending, the loss of financial security, the lack of funds, the loss of our health, the loss of someone we love, the crises we face that we all face in life and in this world. And this leads us to the results. So we talked about the similarities, we talked about the difference, and now we're gonna talk about the results. There are different outcomes when the storms of life hit. That's the result of these two different foundations. And the results are truly dramatic in in the way that Jesus writes this. Because when the difficulties of the rain and the floods and the wind strike and earthquakes against the house built on sand, what happens? The house falls. It doesn't kind of like, ah, didn't hurt anybody, I'm falling. It falls. And it says it fell with what? A great crash. A terrible crash, a complete downfall. It was, it, it was ruinous, a total ruin. Great is the fall of the life not built on Jesus as our king. Because you see, the assumption of the fool is that today's weather sunny and bright will be tomorrow's weather and the next day's weather (laughs) and the next day's weather. And you know what? It almost never is. Many years ago when I was young, not that many years ago, but many years ago I was young, (laughs) with with a brand new wife and a young family, I had a friend in my life who was very important to me. He was older than me. He knew the Bible better than me. He knew theology better than me. And over the years, we became very close. Very, very close. Sometimes he would take me into a group of some other guys that he was meeting with on a regular basis, and we would gather every now and then just to talk theology. I know for some of you that's boring, but we would, they would talk about theology and all of these things. I mean, they would discuss the deep issues like predestination. Good luck with that. I wrote a paper on that in seminary and didn't get a good grade, so didn't do well. <laughs> How about original sin or the depravity of man or the events of the second coming of Jesus, pre-trib, post-trib, what's the trib? All of those things they would talk about. <laughs> they would talk for hours. But in the end, they never got to how this would be applied to their life. And this just, over time, began to frustrate me. I just didn't want to go to these guys anymore. I mean, they were smart people, but I just go, what is going on? I wanted to ask, so what? How is this going to affect my life? What does this mean to me right now when I wake up in the morning? And you know, the more I got to know this friend, the more I learned that for him, as he studied these subjects and he studied the Bible, just being able to discuss them and sound intelligent was enough. (laughs) This was not about putting into practice the words of Jesus. I stayed close to him all the time. I mean, I saw him as a mentor in my life, quite frankly, in all these, in these things before I went to school. And there came a time when the storms of life hit him. And they hit him really hard. So hard that he crashed and never recovered. He ended up losing his family. 
He actually ended up losing his life because of the storm. His foundation, though hidden, was essential. And his foundation, though hidden for many years, had a time of revealing. Okay, but let's not forget about the other house. Let's talk about the house that stands, that doesn't fall. The difficulties of rain and flood and wind. Don't bring that down. Why? Because it's built on a solid rock. What is that rock? It is the life that allows Jesus to be our king as we put his words into practice. This rock is symbolic of doing what Jesus asked his followers to do. One builder is wise, the other is foolish. The only difference between them is what? That one heard the words of Jesus and did them, and one heard the words, the very same words, and did not do them. That's the parable. That's the parable. Well, what was the reaction of the crowds as Jesus talked through all of the Sermon on the Mount? Verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So what's going on here is obvious, right? The crowds are amazed. They're astonished. Wow, great sermon, Jesus. Really love what you had to say. But why were they astonished? Because Jesus spoke with divine authority. The scribes and the Pharisees spoke from other authorities. They had to go to other rabbis and learn some things. They had to go to teachers of the law and experts of the law, commentaries of their day, to learn what to say. But Jesus, he needed no human teacher to add authority to his words. For he spoke as the Son of God. The Son of God. Divine authority. And the central point is this, Jesus' entire approach to the Sermon on the Mount is not only ethical, it is kingdom-oriented. Jesus is, as we say at Christmas, God is with us, Emmanuel, our Messiah, our Savior. And hopefully we make him our Lord, not just in one section of our lives, but throughout all of our lives. Jesus is not an ordinary prophet who says, thus says the Lord. No, he speaks in the first person as the Son of God. So we cannot dismiss this sermon lightly, for it is God who gave it to us. We've been hearing these words for I don't know how many weeks, and we've wrestled with the words that we've been hearing about what Jesus taught. But we have got to make a decision, people, you and me and all of us. Are we going to simply hear these words of Jesus and just go on with our lives as they typically are? Maybe thinking, well, now is now and later is later and nothing's going to happen. But if something does happen in my life, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to unplug myself like I unplug myself as a computer and count to 10. And uh, if my relationships are crumbling, I'll just do that. I'll unplug, count to 10, and I'll plug myself back in. I'll reboot and I'll be fine. I thought of that because my oldest son, whenever I have a problem with my computer and it's not working well, it's broken, he says, Dad, just turn it off, unplug it, count to 10, plug it back in, reboot. And it always works. But guess what? We're not computers. We're people. We're made in the image of the living God. (laughs) He's inviting us to change. He's inviting you and me to change. 
So how do we change? Well, let's make a choice to put into practice the words and the ex- that we hear and experience the life Jesus has for us. Life that is connected. Life that is understanding what I'm doing now is going to have an impact in the future, so I better be aware of that. That building a life of following Jesus is a process that takes time and obedience. Oh, I hate that word, don't you? Maybe not. It relates to our habits. It relates to delayed gratification that our relationships, our money, our everything that's important to us falls under the lordship and the followership of Jesus. I don't want this just to be a one and done kind of sermon that you hear this morning. One more to, like me to put it on my little checklist. I heard that sermon. I want, I'd love for it to be different this morning. So we got some time left. We got some time left. I want to ask you, Are you happy with how well you're doing with acting wise or foolish? Are you happy about the foundation you are building your life upon? Are you able to allow Jesus to be your king in growing in new areas of your life? On that insert, if you look, it's on the second side, not not on the inside, but on the back side of the insert. I made this little continuum all the way from extremely wise to extremely foolish with a couple things in between. Pull that out if you have one. I know not everyone has one right now. Would you pull that out? Because here's what I'm going to do. I want you to reflect on this a minute. The parable today is not that hard to understand, but it is definitely hard to put into practice. Amen? Are you with me? Am I being too hard on you this morning? Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read some of the words from the Sermon on the Mount. Just a few selections. I'm going to give you the reference. And what I'd like you to do is, as you think about this, I want you to write the reference. I'm just going to give you the chapter and verse. They're all in Matthew, by the way. Uh, Chapter and verse. And I want you to put it above one of those words that you think best describes you in this area. Now, after we're all done, you'll pass those forward, and I I will get them. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. I want this between you and the Lord, not me, you and the Lord. Just you and the Lord. All right? Here's the first one. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The reference is 516, chapter 5, verse 16. Put it somewhere on that continuum. If you're afraid about the person next to you seeing, just kind of go like this. Don't let them see, okay? Because this is important stuff. Here's the second one. When it comes to anger and reconciliation, when you, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, first go and be reconciled to that person. We don't have altars anymore, but we have times of worship. References 524, chapter five, verse 24. Think a minute, put it down. Keep it close to you. Here's a tough one probably for all of us. Jesus says, this is the words of Jesus. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. (laughs) 544. Here's the next one. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's chapter 6, 19 and 20. Here's one that I give to the Lord and take back. Give to the Lord and take back. Just to let you know where I'm at on one of these myself. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and your body more than clothes. Chapter 6, verse 25. So without any, letting anybody else see, hold your paper kind of in an arc there. Uh, now how many ticks you have on the wise side? How many ticks you have on the foolish side? Now if I were to ask the question, do you want to be wise or foolish, we're all going to say, wise, we want to be wise, right? We don't have to wait until we encounter a severe storm in life before we discover what kind of foundation our life is built on. Just read those things and other things that Jesus said and engage to yourself, where am I at with you on this, Jesus? Because the image that Jesus uses in his parable is that of a home. Our home is our life. That with the storms that will withstand the storms of life compared to a home that is destroyed when the storms of life come, two men, two lives, one survives and is safe despite what life does to him and the other one is lost when tragedy hits. The difference between them is their foundation, the rock or the sand. The rock foundation is the application of the words of Jesus, the steady, daily, soaking in the truth of the gospel that is put into practice that is built to secure you, consistent, authentic protection for you when disaster hits. And the sandy foundation is superficial response to the teaching of Jesus, the hearing of the gospel, without its infiltration into the heart, without the transformation of our life in helping us to respond as Jesus would love us to respond. Now you remember the Leaning Tower of San Francisco I talked about a couple of minutes ago. So when it comes to the Millennium Tower, everyone agrees it needs to be fixed. <laughs> some of the ideas are pretty wild. I didn't even know you could do some of this stuff. So one of the ideas is, let's just freeze the ground permanently so it doesn't move anymore. I mean, can you do that? Can you freeze the ground? Another idea was, let's lop off the first 20 stories, that'll make the building lighter. After all, we built it in concrete. You normally build in steel. Steel's lighter than concrete. Maybe that'll take the weight off and it'll be okay. Here's the one that, I don't know why it came in third. Let's get the foundation on bedrock. Really? It took three chances to get to that, get to that one? Really? I mean, that seems like the best idea to me. Of course, I've read the parable and you have too now. See, the foundation of a building can be fixed. It's going to take millions of dollars to undo the mistake of the building on sand instead of bedrock. And the same is true of you and me. It's not too late to repair the work that you've been doing on your foundation. You can begin today to follow the words of Jesus, to put into practice the words that he says to your heart and mind as you know him and study him and, re and, and follow him. So as I, I, have, I have an application for some of you, and then I have an application for all of you. So something for everyone. First, if you're here this morning and you're still trying to decide about Jesus and where you stand with him, I, I want to invite you to make a decision and make it soon, maybe even today. 
Here at LBF, we realize that everything has a starting point. Your life, it began at some point, right? Your relationships, your parenting began at some point. It wasn't all of a sudden, poof, you have a teenager unless you adopt children. Your education, you didn't get that degree until you worked a lot of years. It's had a starting point. Your career, yeah, and even your faith has a starting point. And maybe your faith journey began in childhood as a set of beliefs that's been handed down to you by a parent. But sometimes the faith handed down to you as a child doesn't seem strong enough to withstand the questions of adult life. Or maybe you've developed a framework of faith by your own personal experiences. Or maybe you don't have any faith at all yet. But what? What if you could find a new starting point? What if you could for faith? I mean, if this is you, here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to attend a small group conversation about faith. It's beginning on September 25th. It's still far enough away you can plan your life and think about it. It's going to be right here in our church campus. And it's really a conversation about faith. I'd ask you if that's interest you in any way to take that green connection card, give us enough information where I can personally send you some information about that or how to register. Or if you're really convinced already, go out to the next steps and use our tablets to register. It's all there ready for you. Either way, I want you, I want you to be invited to join others. We have people already signed up and there's only so many spots we can allow. This is a conversation about faith. Now, you know what we call this group, predictably enough? Starting point. point. Yeah, thank you, Debbie. You are so sharp today. (laughs) Now, if you'd like to contact me personally about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I would love to have conversation with you via email, through text, through phone call, whatever way you feel our meeting, whatever you feel best. I've, I've had the privilege over the last several weeks to see seven people who've been part of this church, who maybe are sitting here today, who have said, I want to know about what it means to be a Christian. God is at work. People are responding. And this is such a blast. If you give me any kind of information, I'm not going to slam you. I'm not going to send you spam. I'm not going to do all that stuff. I'll only move forward with whatever permission you give me. Because this has got to be your choice, not my choice. Now, secondly, if you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you some questions. And with each question, I want you to allow this Holy Spirit that's inside of you as a believer, we we want to say yes to. My life, I just try and keep it simple. Holy Spirit, you're saying something to me. I want to say yes. I'm having a hard time. I might say no. No, I got to say yes to evaluate the kind of foundation you have been laying and the kind of foundation maybe this morning you want to change and lay anew and afresh. So here's what I want you to do. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? because I don't want any distraction. I'm just going to read several sentences, and I don't know where your life is at, and I don't know what you're up to, and I don't know what you're doing, but I would just ask you to give a couple of minutes to think through these. Instead of giving in to hatred, will I be forgiving? Instead of revenge, will I seek reconciliation? 
Instead of being consumed by lust, will I act with integrity? Instead of undermining my marriage, will I be faithful? Instead of using deception, will I speak the truth? Instead of resenting people who annoy me, will I pray for them? Instead of being materialistic, will I be generous? Instead of worrying all the time, will I trust God for my needs? Would you just look up at me now? I don't know which one of those. I hope one of them has struck a chord in your life. Some words to put into practice. These all came from the Sermon on the Mount. The teachings of Jesus that we have experienced. But instead of waiting for the storms of life to take you down, why not test the foundation now? And where it is not built on Jesus, here's the word for the day, repent. Scary word, doesn't it? Repent. Simply means to stop, change your mind, change your direction. And start again, building your new foundation on the rock, on putting into practice the words of Jesus. A foundation that you cannot do alone, that you will need the enabling, miraculous, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in you to accomplish the things that Jesus is asking us to do. I want to end with a story of mine about putting the words of Jesus into practice. And it happened right here at LBF years ago. So I was surprised one night when I attended an elder meeting when two men came unannounced to the meeting. They didn't know they were coming. The rest of the elders didn't know they were coming. They announced to the men, the elders there, that I was not qualified to do my job. <laughs> two guys were close to me. I knew them, served together with them. I was shocked. I, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it was happening. And, and over some conversation, which really didn't last that long, the board didn't agree with them. But it shook me to the core. It really did. I mean, I must have spent the next 60, 90 days daily, kind of different times, re-examining my calling, re-examining my abilities, re-examining the direction of my life and saying, should I still be here? Should I move on? Is there truth there? What's not truth? Well, the two men left the church and their families, and I began to recover slowly over all of this. Then two years later, almost to the day, one of the men came back and wanted me to forgive him. You know what my first response was in my heart? Are you kidding me? No way! You know what kind of pain, you know what kind of life-altering thing you've done to my life? And you want me to forgive you? But then the words of Jesus about forgiving came to my heart. You remember the story of Peter asking Jesus about how many times he should forgive someone who sins against him? <laughs> should it be seven, Lord? You know what Jesus says? Seventy times seven. And that's 490, but that's not the point. It's not to be taken literally. <laughs> it means every time. Every time. Who's going to? Yeah, never mind that. I knew I needed to forgive him when my heart said I didn't want to. So 
So I made the decision and I prayed and I asked God, I need you in my heart. I need this Holy Spirit thing to make this a reality because in, as in my humanness, I don't want to do this. So he came to my office. He sat down. He expressed himself. At the end, he said, please forgive me for what I have done. And I was able to say those words, I forgive you. But it didn't end there. Because I began this new journey with this man. He wanted to be part of this church with his family. and It was hard. It was difficult. And I had to make that decision over and over again to forgive him. Not so much for something he was doing now, but still the past. It was still in my heart. And I just go, I need freedom from this. But as I put these words of Jesus into practice, I just learned so much and how hard it is to forgive something that really hurts. And it's not, oh, I forgive you, let's move on as if nothing ever happened, right? It's forgive you, now how do I walk in that day in and day out? But putting, by saying yes to the Holy Spirit, it's been helping me build a foundation for forgiveness because I'll tell you, that was a long time ago and people still say things that are very painful and hurtful, (laughs) usually in an anonymous card. But that, putting Jesus' words into practice, has helped me respond as a solid rock in times when I really didn't want to. Listen, if you expect to weather the storms of life and still remain standing, you will need to put into practice the words of Jesus and allow him to be your king. And if you do, it'll build an enduring life, an eternal life, because Jesus offers a better life, following him in a purposeful life, a meaningful life, not without struggles, not without problems, but a meaningful and a purposeful life. Why? Because Jesus knows how life is to be lived. (laughs) He set the parameters for living. He is the creator of all of this. He has set in motion the principles by which we find things that we're all looking for. (laughs) Your foundation determines the direction you go in life. Would you stand with me, please? Father, my prayer this this morning is that I am included in this prayer request along with all who are standing, and we are asking you, and I'm asking on their behalf, that you would help us to not just end this series in the Sermon on the Mount and say, oh, wasn't that a nice series? I, I, I learned so much, but God, I pray that we'd be able to say, thank you for this series, Jesus. Thank you for enabling me to put into my life something I really needed to put into my life. Help me to practice your words as I encounter them. Because Jesus, we want this passionate pursuit of life in you to be way more than something we put on our t-shirts. We want it to be who we are. So as we leave this place, my prayer for all of us is that we would not let go of this message that you have given to us through this parable. We would take it, chew on it, and live it. My prayer in Jesus' name, amen. 